Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Sawbones Marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. Justin, uh, a lot of people are talking about quarantine. Yeah, I don't know why though. You don't know why? I don't get it. No, I don't follow the news. Not a big news guy. Not love, at all. Love sports. Literally n- no news. I keep the boob tube you- tuned to sports. Hey, we did a podcast. Uh, a week that wasn't last week was it last week recently i do a lot of on podcasts coronavirus mainly you about sports don't remember it was there a touchdown involved or a sort of 3.9 no, no a lot of people are talking about quarantine because as i'm sure you're aware uh the novel coronavirus covid as it has covid19 as it has now been dubbed I don't know, guys. You don't know about that? I don't know. I just feel like something a little bit. I'm glad the distinction between coronavirus and uh, this new thing is is being drawn. Just so Mm -hmm. it's like not all coronavirus. Yeah. I'm certain the fine people at Corona are stoked to try to reduce their brand brand uh uh crossfire there i'm sure there's jazz about that but covid19 just doesn't like trip off the tongue i don't know no. well i mean there are bigger problems in the name really i mean, I, I think if you you know I, I can't impact any of them so i might as well whine about one that's a little bit uh, smaller scale right we uh we didn't really talk about in our first episode about coronavirus what was being done specifically in china and then now here uh to try to contain the spread of the virus Mm -hmm. um and uh i wanted to to touch on that some but i thought like having sort of an understanding historically of how we've used quarantine might be helpful Mm -hmm. to kind of see where we're coming from now and what the uh what i think a lot of people are concerned about rightfully so the potential pitfalls of some of the ways that this is being addressed Mm -hmm. Um, I know there have been some articles about this recently, too. This is a hot topic. And so let's talk about it. All right. Let's do it. Uh, So we have we I'm certain and and there's documented evidence from like ancient writings from Hippocrates and people that we've been trying to find ways to contain or like to if somebody's sick, keep them away from other people for a long time informally without any real understanding of germ theory of disease or anything like that. But the first real formal attempts, like the the beginnings of quarantine as we know it, uh, really start 
in the plague epidemics throughout the 14th century. That's mm. that's really where the true story of quarantine begins. You, and I'm not saying people didn't try before, but that's that's where this story starts. Um, and when we say quarantine, what we're really talking about is the attempt to restrict the spread of some sort of disease, some sort of infectious disease, by means of restricting the movement of people or things. Okay. Right. So we that way the disease doesn't go anywhere because the people or the stuff doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the what when we talk about the plague itself, we, and we've done a whole episode on it before. There were no at the time in the 14th century any effective treatment strategies. Like once you got it, it was just kind of. Well, honestly, pray. That was really right. what a lot of people did. Uh, and there were things people attempted, but the best you could do is try to stay away from it. Right. Because so, that's like strap a chicken to your arm and hope for the best. Exactly. So there were some places that did things that were like what are actually called sanitary cordons, where you would set up like armed guards at an entrance at the main entrance road to your city or town or village or whatever. And essentially they were just like militarily enforced. And it was if you try to come into our city and we don't like if you're a stranger and you're trying to come in, we'll kill you. So don't come in or we'll shoot you or well, stab you from or, a quarantine. Well, a quarantine is more restricting as opposed to like just um, sectioning off an entire town to try to prevent disease from getting in. A quarantine is taking infected people and preventing them from going places, okay. from, like keeping them somewhere. Whereas this is like we don't have the disease in our town, so we're not letting anybody in. Got it. Um, and sanitary cordons are also, you know, that that term is also being used if you look at what what is happening currently in certain parts of China where you just cordon off an entire area that has cases. So it's not that everyone within that area is sick, but the entire city or province is cordoned off. Mm -hmm. That's a sanitary cordon. It's not a quarantine because not everyone in it is sick. Okay. Got so, it. You know, you're, 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 you're kind of trapping the sick and the healthy together. And that's not the case with quarantine? Like, can't you be quarantined even if you're not sick? You can be quarantined if you're not sick, but you would hopefully be quarantined with other people who you should. A real quarantine should keep sick people with sick people and healthy people with healthy people okay. and not mix the two. Now, as you've probably already guessed, that's almost impossible Got it. to do. There are ways to make you do it better, but that's almost impossible to do. So at, at this point, back in the plague days, you would just say, OK, put some people with weapons at the entrances to the city or town and don't let anybody we don't know in. And as you can imagine, uh, this might keep out sick people, but it also would probably keep out anybody you didn't like, any races or religious, you know, orders you didn't like. So it was often used as an excuse to just discriminate. And, and you know, there was a lot of like racism and bigotry that played into this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, who is a quote unquote stranger? And who isn't? Um, and uh, and this was also bad because it encouraged uh, sick people, if they didn't know where to go, to just kind of wander to try to find a place to be and to spread disease further. Right. You know, um, those uh, that were sick within a town were placed in like makeshift little camps and things, basically to keep the sick people from the the healthy people. But the real first quarantines were done the term itself actually comes from uh italy 
from 14th century, uh, specifically in Venice. Um, there was a lot of fear that plague could be brought in by ships into Venice. It was a mm-hmm. big port. A lot of ships coming in. And so what they started doing is requiring that all ships would dock, would sit and dock somewhere for 40 days before the passengers were allowed to disembark. So basically you just keep them there for 40 days, Mm -hmm. um, either on the ship or, as we'll get into, in, in a certain containment facility separate from the city until the 40 days have passed. And then at that point, if you weren't sick, they thought you probably were fine. And then they let you come in. Um, the term quarantine comes from the Italian for 40 days, Coranta Giorini. Huh. So that was eventually shortened to quarantine. Well, that's interesting at least. Yeah. And that's where quarantine comes from. The, uh, if you did have a boat come in that thought they might have somebody with plague on it and you counted on the, the people on the ship, the, the captain, to be honest, you would, uh, fly a flag and they would look. Uh, on the church tower of San Marco, they would look for the flags coming in. And there were different ones. Nowadays, the flag that means um, this ship could contain, you know, disease, might need quarantine, is like a yellow and black flag. Mm-hmm. They call it the yellow jack sometimes. Back in the day, some were yellow, some were black. There were various ones. That's good. Nowadays, mix, it up, mix it up. I say mix that. Symbols up. <laughs> I say that because nowadays I believe a plain yellow flag means no disease. So. They should just do Mr. Yuck. That's easy. Everybody knows what that means. Uh, Or Skull and Crossbones. Is that maybe where that came from? Probably not. I thought that was from Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. So the captain would be taken from the ship in a lifeboat to, to shore, and they would talk to the health magistrate through like like a confessional kind of situation, like through a window, <laughs> um, so that nobody would get sick, and they would have to go over like... What is going on on the boat? What is, you know, you have to show proof, like, is everybody healthy? Is everybody fine? Where did all of this stuff on your boat come from? Is it from somewhere where there's a known outbreak of anything? If there was any concern, then they would proceed to a quarantine station where you would be isolated for a period of time. Um, Again, usually 40 days. Uh, And and this grew to be adopted by a lot of other places throughout Europe. As, as like the method for yeah. allowing ships and trying to prevent the spread of disease. As far as like why 40, in case you're curious, yeah. um, it, it may be that Hippocrates wrote about 40 days as being an important period of time for some acute illnesses. Mm-hmm. The number four has a lot of significance. Uh, there's some biblical tie-ins. <laughs> I think the short answer is we're not really... We're not really sure this why is 40 so was early. chosen. I mean, they're, guessing, they're guessing about all this. <laughs> they're stuff. guessing. It was later shortened to thirty, but quarantine still stuck as the name. Yeah. So, um, thirty feels healthy. Thirty feels good. Still, wow, what a boring few days. I mean, boring. Yes. Uh, I can't imagine. And this is why they eventually established these hospitals, these plague hospitals. Um, the first was in 1423 on the island of Santa Maria de Nazareth. Uh, near Venice, and the it was called a lazaretto. And basically, you would have a compound where, like, the ship would pull in, and you could let people who seemed okay, but you wanted to monitor for signs of disease, go to one place. Sick people went to another place. Um, they had uh, separate areas for goods 
mm. where they could be decontaminated and they had like a whole procedure for decontaminating the merchandise, like stuff that you couldn't get wet, had to just air out. Basically, they didn't, I mean, you know, they didn't know how disease spread. Right. So it was like, just ventilate it for 48 hours. And maybe that's good. Let it breathe. Um, other stuff would just be continuously run underwater for a couple days. Like, is that wow. something? Wasteful? Did we? It's wasteful. <laughs> is that good? <laughs> Did we do something? Um, there were it, there was like a hospital of sorts there, so that people who were actually sick were given some sort of medical care. Um, mm-hmm. And usually, these places were like on a separate island or over a mountain range, like somewhere geographically isolated from the city that set them up. Right. You know, that you were trying to protect. Um, there. There were similar precautions that were eventually taken in the UK, but uh, it, again, in response to plague, uh, early quarantine was m- largely the result of plague. Um, but we didn't see that in the UK until like the 1600s. In the US, in the colonial US, you would start to see this in response to more smallpox and yellow fever. Mm. You started to see some quarantining procedures and very similar to what we just described, the way that ships were brought into port and like quarantined off and like places for them to stay for a while to be monitored before they were allowed to disembark and that kind of thing. Um, And there were also places where like patients with smallpox were forcibly quarantined to their own homes. That was another, yeah, way that quarantine was used. Better than a pirate ship. At least, I mean, at least I got the Xbox in there. Well, we're, we're in the 16 and 1700s. So I mean, Xbox one, (laughs) I don't know when it came out, but I don't think the first Xbox. Okay, I see where we're confused. Not the Xbox One. The uh-huh. the first Xbox. Oh, okay. Was sixteen hundred. around that little. Was it? Give or take. Give or take. As the as the former game journalist, I'll trust you. Is actually um, the Hexbox. The church had mm-hmm. it, and it's where they kept all the <laughs> reports Do you feel of good? witchcraft. Do you feel good about that? Mm, no. Okay. I don't. Mm. Oh, okay. So throughout the 1800s, quarantine really became a tool that was mainly directed at cholera. That was the newest scourge. And it caused um, death and devastation that was terrifying to a lot of countries. And so there were a lot of um, those same procedures that had been used previously against plague and to a lesser extent against smallpox and yellow fever were put in place again to try to keep cholera out of areas and so again quarantines and lazarettos and cordons and and some more oppressive policies um, were established to try to limit the spread of cholera and this is where we really start to see and this is something that you'll see as a theme whenever people are afraid of something Mm -hmm. uh, a threat especially an infectious disease which can seem while it is very real there is a an element of um it is. It seems uncontrollable. I think because you can't see it. Sure. It's. It seems. It's. It's a very. I think it's a very frightening thing for a group of people, a society, to experience. Uh, oppressive governments can take advantage of that. <gasps> I know. Shocking to enact policies that will target people who are already maybe marginalized by society and would be easy to further oppress and marginalize um and so you see that people facing homelessness or poverty poverty or sex workers were often targeted by these quarantining policies to basically say like if i see you on the street i'm going to say that you could be out there spreading disease or whatever and you're going to be arrested and you could really um direct a lot more aggression and violence towards these marginalized people in society at these times because people were so afraid for themselves, they're not thinking about anybody's personal rights right. or freedoms. 
Um, and so seizing on that, authoritarian leaders became more oppressive in all their policies, not just relating to health. Mm. And this was a at this specific point in history. Uh, I'm right now. I'm not talking about the current situation, mm-hmm. although. At least, uh, at least not directly. <laughs> Although, as you may see, there yeah. are echoes of this. At this point, when we're talking about like the 1800s, if you think about what has just occurred in the United States of America, now newly formed United America, States of America. Yeah, amazing freedom. Beautiful. So, <laughs> eagles, the whole bit. This was not a time when the world in general, many parts of the world, I should say, not all, were at a at a uh, place where oppressive authoritarian regimes were very welcome. Like if you think about trying to enact these policies in Europe or like in, in France in particular, like the French Revolution had just occurred. Right. Personal liberty was in vogue. So these this all these um, cholera quarantines and procedures actually led to a lot of political upheaval, riots, mm. um, you know, uh, uprisings, a lot of problems from that because people no, you you don't get to tell me what right. to do. We you don't get got, to tell me where to go. We just got out of that. We just fought this. We're free. We um, can do what we want. And it didn't work very well for cholera. There are isolated incidents where we see that maybe quarantine was somewhat effective, especially like a really small island. And this happened a couple times. If you if you are if you are part of a small group of people who live on a tiny island and you basically just like scare away anybody who tries to come on the island with like weapons, yeah. Then that, then I guess quarantine could work, but with cholera it just didn't work very well for mo- for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um and this of course led to panic uh, there was no coordination on a global level. There was no like scientific coordination to try to figure out. Like some people thought it was communicable. Other people thought it wasn't. And nobody was really working together very, very well to share information or anything mm-hmm. because um, of all these quarantines where it was just like, well, shut the doors, isolate it's ourselves. Very isolating. I was about to say, like, it, 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 I think it, it fosters that sort of like me above everyone else sort of. Yes. And and makes you view others as potentially hostile. And it it will prey upon whatever prejudices already exist within mm. societies and individuals. So what you see in times like this is that uh cholera gets blamed on whatever whatever race is being oppressed or marginalized within that specific society. Right. And they get targeted with increased policies and oppression and deportation or whatever, um, just because we already have those underlying prejudices. And now this enables our fear to run rampant. Um, And uh, this was kind of the way things went with cholera until eventually we figured out the germ theory of disease and that people could um, we knew how things were communicate, you know, how a bacteria was given from one person to the next. We understood the spread of cholera. And once all of that fell into place, we could actually come up with effective strategies to limit its spread outside of just like bar the door. Um, And then we had it all figured out, right? Forever. For the rest of human history, we figured out all disease and how to stop it. Mm -hmm. And everyone was healthy forever. The end of Sawbones. Wow. What a great run. What a great series. 300 and some episodes amazing except of course we didn't oops none of that was true oh what is it well everything was true except for the end where i said it was all better (laughs) what actually happened well i'm going to tell you what happened next but before we do that 
Let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So how did we narrowly avoid fixing everything? (laughs) Well, it wasn't really our fault. It was that our concept of what could cause disease shifted. So we had gotten used to the idea of cholera and how it was spread. And we had understood through water and we understood, you know, kind of what we could sort of what we could do to protect ourselves more or less. We still didn't understand everything yet. Right. right? But we were getting better Um, in the midst of a world war. A new infection emerges that people were not prepared for. And that is, we are in 1918 and influenza overwhelmed us uh, as a species. Yeah. Yes. 
people did not know how to handle um and it and it came at exactly the time when you would have trouble you know organizing a coordinated response right so we're in the midst of world war one more soldiers are dying from influenza what would eventually be called the spanish flu Mm. although do you know why they probably got the blame for that i think we may have said this in our episode i it sounds familiar but remind me a lot it, it was in, it was all over the place right everybody was getting the flu it wasn't just in spain but uh, a lot of other countries weren't wanting to report it because of war right and they didn't want anybody you to want know to look cool and tough in front of the, all the other countries and spain reported it mm. so they snitched basically <laughs> they were honest so they got a flu named after them but when you when you have uh the movement of you know, troops across borders. You, there's no way you can Bad, control yeah. where people are traveling or, or, you know, the governments are in disarray. There's no worldwide co- cooperation. Everybody's already panicking. Everybody got sick. And in the U.S. specifically, the response to the influenza epidemic of 1918, 1919 was, um, I mean, it varied. It was not, it was not a coordinated federal one, one size fits all kind of solution. Mm -hmm. In some cities, it was quite severe. Schools shut down, churches stopped services, theaters closed. There were no public meetings. There were no, I think I saw like at, at Yale, there were no more meetings, no more group meetings or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, they at some places like they wouldn't even do confession at church anymore because you're talking closely through those little you know through the little gated I should know the name of that thing the in the thing. thing in the, the thing, thing. <laughs> through the fancy gate that you, you talk know, the through. fancy great the fancy great the fancy great uh you there there weren't funeral services in some places like basically any kind of gathering right was eliminated and other places were a little more flexible they were really worried about what that would do to business. Oh, right. You know, shut down like that keeps customers away. Exactly. And so places that were a little more concerned with that didn't do all that. Um, doctors didn't know what to tell people. They said, like, isolate yourself as much as you can. Well, hope for bad. hope for the best, right. you know. Um, and then government policies throughout the world ranged from completely oppressive to non-existent. And this was the first time we really saw the media play a big role. Oh, yeah. You know, in. Yeah. I don't want to say adding to the panic, but in spreading the awareness that there's something to panic about, I should right. say. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the media's fault for telling the truth. The flu is bad. People are dying. Right. That is just the truth. It's just they make sure everybody knows it. Um, and this, of course, would be the first of the influenza, you know, seasonal flu. Like, Well, I mean, the seasonal flu was probably already happening, but this right. would be our awareness of it, that the flu is something we're going to have to continue to deal with. And the first of the influenza pandemics of the 20th century um by the 30s we understood the causative agent and then eventually we had a a vaccine and i think that that has changed kind of the way we look at the flu Mm. um because something we talked about in the first coronavirus episode is that people are scared of this in a way that i don't see them be afraid of the flu right and you can get down into well the mortality is probably higher and so maybe there's good reason to and all that but also, you'd think if you were scared of this, you would be motivated to at least go get the flu shot. Sure. Yeah. And not everybody is. And I think that maybe we've become comfortable with the idea of the flu. Hmm. So it, we're inured to it because we hear about it so much and talk about it so much that we're, we've just lost our fear of it. Yes. Hmm. Which is not good. No. Not that, not that, I mean, fear without action is not like a healthy response. Hmm. But if, if it's fear that drives you to preventative action get your shot and stuff yes then then it's good um 
What really changed things uh, in more recent years, because, I mean, we've certainly had other flu pandemics. Um, sure. Most recently, H1N1. Swine flu. Yes. Uh, but uh, SARS is what really, um, that I think I think that SARS really kind of changed the game for a lot of people. So 2003, we already mentioned SARS occurred in, in China. And it spread very quickly. It tra- it was transmitted very quickly. It had a high mortality rate. Um, we didn't have a vaccine. We didn't have any way to treat it. It was scary. Um, but uh, it did not seem the strategies that were hit among different countries that got hit really hard by SARS really mm-hmm. varied. Um, and, and it's interesting because you see like a lot of these quarantining like cordoning off buildings, checkpoints on roads. I mean, in China, there were even like they installed web cameras in private homes Mm -hmm. to monitor people for signs of infection. Yes. Um, And Canada, it was more of a voluntary, voluntary quarantine. Do you remember that? Like this is within our adult lives. Do you remember Mm -hmm. this? Yeah. How do you not remember it? Uh, I I kind of, (laughs) I thought you would say, no, I don't. I can't believe I missed this too. That's kind of what I thought you would say. Um, you could, especially specifically in, in China, the, the measures that were taken were really, really aggressive. Um, there were severe punishments. I don't know how many of them were enacted, but that could be mm-hmm. if you if you broke quarantine. Um, and again, as we've talked about, anytime this happens, it is if you're if a if a system, if it is useful to a system to oppress certain populations, certain aspects of the population, this is an opportunity to do so. Um, because you suddenly more. have, it's a perfect storm, right? Of like, we have these people we want to oppress. Everyone's afraid. Yes. And you have this like opportunity to sort of capitalize on that fear and panic by, you know, telling people, how, uh, making these restrictions. Right. And uh, and I mean, I think I think you could draw a lot of um, correlation between this and what happened in the United States following um, the September 11th terrorist attacks. Absolutely. To, to a lot yeah, of absolutely. civil liberties, you know. Um, and so we already know, like, if we look to SARS and what the way that China responded to SARS back in 2003. And the, and the thing is, like, it's been credited. Their quick response has been credited with restricting the spread of SARS. Mm-hmm. Um to some extent, although it didn't completely, of course, it was another that country. One was bad. That one's like a ten percent mortality rate, right? It's higher, yeah. And so it, it was worse. I know MERS but it, is like thirty. MERS was much higher, but it MERS did not seem to spread old. as well. Yeah. Um. Maybe because it was like thirty. Yeah. Uh. Well, also, it, it was harder to get from person to person. I don't think they yeah, ever proved. Camels, right? Yeah, I don't think they ever proved that it was definitively being spread from person to person as much as from animal to person. Um, or if it was, it was it was much harder. Right. Uh, so now with coronavirus and response to that, we've seen a lot of, um, similar actions and you can read all of these firsthand accounts. Um, a lot of them are anonymous, but a lot of firsthand accounts from people who are currently in China, specifically in the parts of China that have been most effective in the Wuhan region and in Hubei where, um, the entire first, the city and then provinces were put under sanitary cordon. Um, I think eventually there's like over it, it was they were saying 50 million, but people were restricted under these. But I think it's it's way more than that at this point. Um, 
they actually they took order they took actions like the the communist leaders in Wuhan and Hubei were fired and replaced with bosses who were stricter the way that it read in the article i was reading said that they were parachuted in i don't know if that's literal perhaps <laughs> that um, would be pretty rad but they were more military background right. leaders okay to um basically they have started going door to door to as they put it in in their terms quote unquote round up people who are suspected of having coronavirus um and to place them in either they have makeshift hospitals that have been formed throughout the various regions as well as um, what they're calling like quarantine hotels. Right. So like places to go get medical care if you're sick and then places to just put you if we're not sure if you're sick. Mm -hmm. And some of this is voluntary. And then if it's not voluntary, then it's, it's, it's in, involuntary. involuntary. Right. Um, and the problem to this is obvious, as, as has been reported. Not I am not this is not groundbreaking coming from me. You can read numerous uh, news reports on this because right now we're not testing everybody and we're not sure who to test. People are getting quarantined whether or not they actually have it with other people who may right. or may not have it. Right. And so there were there are numerous people who have said, like, I was held and tested with like 10 other people three of them had it they were put somewhere else and then the rest of us were sent elsewhere but like for a while we were all in one place together for several days we right. all occupied the same space right so we're when we mix people who do and don't have we're gonna we're gonna spread it so right. we're gonna facilitate spread of the disease this way the, the other thing is we're gonna facilitate spread of other things like what if what if nobody has covid but somebody has the flu right it is flu season Right. So we're creating by packing people in like that. We're like creating opportunities for yes any disease. So so there's going to be some concern with that. And um and a lot of this, like there's no way to there are um, neighborhood committees within different areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something that's been around since Mao in China where they will like they'll come to your door like within your they're like a liaison between the government and directly your community, your mm -hmm. neighborhood. Right. And they will. I mean, they'll come to your door and enforce your testing and enforce your quarantine and enforce family members to, you know, stay apart and, and all that kind of thing if necessary. Um, and because this is also scary, you also see in situations like this, people run. Sure. They don't. Yeah. They, mean, they try to escape before they can get quarantined because um, right. it's scary. And that's bad, too. Yes. For obvious reasons. Yes. For obvious reasons. And, you know. What you're starting to see is that um, we can, if we are not careful with how we apply quarantine and other public health procedures, we can oppress marginalized people or we can cause harm or we can violate, you know, personal freedoms to an extent that we're doing more harm than good. Um, and there are lots of examples of this throughout history. I won't go into detail, but there have been cases in 1892. We did this with typhus in New York with a Jewish immigrant population in 1900. We did this with Chinese immigrants um, suspected of having the plague in San Francisco. As recently as 1986, there were camps set up in Cuba for patients tested positive for HIV. Um, and then in more recent years, like we've seen uh, Casey Hickox the um, nurse who was helping with Ebola in Sierra Leone returned in 2014 uh, and and was put into like a tent in a where was it in like a library or something for several days because Chris Christie wanted to quarantine her and like even CDC was like no and 
anyway, um, we've seen this happen. The U.S. has not had a federally mandated quarantine since smallpox in the 60s. So when they first got the U.S. citizens from the Diamond Princess recently from that cruise ship mm-hmm. and they and had them placed in a facility for 14 days after they got home. That action is huge in terms of like historical significance. That's essentially a lazaretto is right. what it is what they've done. Well, at a certain point, you're it's detainment. I mean, like you're detaining people, yes, uh, against their will. Yes, you know, yes. And and the question is, if like, are we going to t- are taking these draconian actions? Is it going to be effective? Are we going to slow the progression of the infection to the extent that we can stop it? Um, and what are we willing to sacrifice in that pursuit? And that's the thing is we're not doing this in a vacuum. Smart people in public health and ethics have sat down in the past and in a giant conference come up with a set of ethical principles. If we're going to apply quarantine or any public health measures, you balance personal f- freedom and providing for the safety of the common good and as long as you are constantly aware of all those ethical principles, there is a way to do this. You just have to be aware of them because you have to make sure that you're limiting personal freedom as little as you possibly have to. Right. Only what is absolutely necessary that you do not discriminate, that it is not used to oppress, you know, certain segments of the population, that you follow scientific evidence when you do it of what is actually going to work, not just what we emotionally feel like might be helpful, that it is, uh, that you get compensation for losses incurred. So if you're forced into quarantine and you miss work, that we compensate you, that we provide you with food and safety and communication sure, with your family and all that. that. And total transparency, total governmental honesty and open transparency is fundamental to applying this in an ethical fashion. Okay. So you're saying that this is happening for America at- Basically, the worst point it could have in nearly all of American history. I think that it is very concerning. Um, and this is this is just I'm trying to be completely objective with the information I'm conveying. I think it is very concerning that Mike Pence has been put in charge of this effort because uh, the HIV outbreak that occurred in Indiana when he was governor was in large part a result of him not following scientific evidence and instead reacting to um, like political pressures and emotional reactions to um, many things, but specifically the needle exchange program mm. that can help to prevent or lessen the, uh, the rate at which HIV occurs. And he mm. did not listen to evidence. Mm. So he has a history of not following one of these principles I just named. And I think that's very concerning. I'm also very concerned that all the messaging from our government is supposed to come from the CDC through Mike Pence or any other medical scientific organization is going to go through politics first. Right. Why? Why? I mean, that's very concerning to me. Isn't that exactly the criticism we've been leveling at China that we don't know? if the information we're getting is true because all of it comes through the state sponsored media and we, we are concerned that perhaps it's not honest. Why would we do, why would we have state sponsored media? (laughs) I know it's not that, but I mean, it feels that way, right? What's the difference at a certain point? I mean, 
it's if not, the media is not going to be able to talk to anybody else, it it doesn't. This isn't the way that this isn't the way that science works. This isn't the way that uh, this is not the way that public health ethics dictate this should go. We all need to know the truth, whatever it is, whether it's scary or not. We need to be constantly being told the truth so that we can be then educated on how best to handle that, prepare for it and move forward in a safe, rational way, as opposed to just what we've done in medieval times, which is freak out and put, you know, troops along every border and open fire on anybody who looks different than us, us who tries to come in, because none of that will work and will cause a lot of harm. If this makes you worried about who you should go to for info, I still think I don't know why it would. <laughs> the The CDC and the World Health Organization are still working to actually try to give situation updates and reports on what is happening regularly. Um, and they've been doing this prior. The WHO to, would not fall under this pen stuff, right? No, it would not. Okay. No, no, it's separate. And you can I mean, this is easily accessible online. I look every single day at, at the Maybe multiple times a day. Would you say you look multiple times a day? Sid? I do look multiple times a day. Yes. Uh, at the World Health, Health Organization, the CDC websites, um, you can find peer reviewed journal articles from doctors and scientists. If you're not sure, ask uh, your doctor, <laughs> they, they, we have access to all this stuff where we can look up and help explain, even if it's not something that's going to directly impact you. I'm always happy to answer questions about it, which probably a lot of us in medicine are getting these days. Or just somebody, if you have a friend who's like skilled at like who, who reads studies and things like that, who knows statistics, who's in any branch of the sciences where they have to read these things a lot can probably help interpret that data. Or the government is a good place to turn to. To no, I messed up. I would no, I not the government. Not to. Okay, got it. I'm I'm gonna. A lot of people say don't look at the media at times like this because they'll just scare you. But I would I would actually make a case that um, the media is our friend, <laughs> and they are trying not always, but if they're doing their job well, a good journalist is trying to get to the truth and hold the government accountable for what that truth is. Mm -hmm. The only concern with that is that they're also trying to get you to watch their uh, channel or buy their paper or click on their website. I would say don't website. watch 24-hour-day news. No. news about something <laughs> like that, an ongoing issue like this, personally, but that's my own bias. Well, because they're also going to report the things that will get your attention. Right. And the things that will get your attention aren't necessarily like the hard-cold facts that you need. It's not that they're not there. It's not that they're lying. They're just also going to tell you some maybe really wild stuff that'll scare the crap out of you. Right. And you don't need that. You just need to be informed. I will say that, for whatever it's worth to people... Um, <clears throat> Because of uh, what we do and Sydney's own uh, personal interests, I would say, uh, we talk a lot about this in this household and follow it really closely, I would say. Uh, and for for whatever it's worth, in terms of coronavirus, and, to, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, we're not we're not panicked about the no. virus itself. Like no. we're we're still not panicking, and we read and look at this stuff as much as anybody. Like we're not panicking here. I, I, we're concerned about the, the, the government aspect of this, which is why we wanted to do this episode. Yes. Um, because that sort of overreach has a potential. And the more you know th that it's probably not important for you to be panicked about COVID-19, the more you'll be able to respond to and sort of like make sense of what's coming from the government. 
Yes. Yes. Because I do think there are reasonable things as, as it has been said now by many people, um, in the scientific community, COVID-19 is probably already here in the U S um, as, as to what numbers, I don't think we know yet, but the more we learn about it and the more that we see that some people get, um, a very mild, perhaps even asymptomatic presentation, mm-hmm. meaning that they had it and they didn't know who knows if where it is or how long it may have been here. Um, and I don't say that to scare you. I say that to, to let's move on to the next phase. I think, um, the idea that we were going to just contain it. Well, it looks like that hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. So how do we best respond? Well, you've heard a lot of recommendations from the CDC. There's no sense in buying a mask. Save the masks for people who are sick and for healthcare professionals who are taking care of people who are sick. Mm-hmm. Don't buy the masks. Uh, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And if you're sick, stay home. And vampire cough, everybody. Come on. <laughs> and vampire cough and sneeze. And if you're concerned, please go see your doctor. Please go get checked out if you're worried, if you're sick and you, you're not sure and you're scared. Go talk to your doctor. Um, those are the reasonable actions that you can take right now. Uh, anything else? I mean, the panic will not will not help us. It will not help others. It will not make us better prepared. Um, yeah, I would say your civic duty right now. And I understand that there are absolutely people listening to this who are immunocompromised or are very close to someone who is or, or you know, elderly folks. And like, abs- like I, I understand your concern. This is not to say that, like. You, you should not be worried about this thing, but when the it's not the like you need to counterbalance it against the extraordinary measures that are being taken. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes, yes. And I think I, I I can't see the United the citizens of this country standing for uh, the types of measures that are being taken in China. It's hard for me to envision mm-hmm. our our citizenry. Um, with our kind of like philosophical leanings being but I didn't think, okay with it. But I didn't think the mass Singer was going to be a hit. <laughs> Here we are. But I don't so know. I, I don't know. But um, but the important thing is don't there is no need to panic. Um, this is, you know, we we have dealt with things like this before. You deal with the flu every year. If you have not gotten your flu shot, please go get your flu shot because it's important to control the things you can control in situations like this to reassure yourself that we do have control over some things in the world. Mm-hmm. And one of them is your flu shot. And you can get that. Um, and in the meantime, look for true sources of information. Don't just blindly follow uh, and don't... Um, don't uh, use this as an excuse to, uh, I, don't, I don't know, take actions that like further marginalize people or stigmatize people. Or... I don't think the people that are doing that are listening to this show. Well, don't <laughs> fall, don't fall victim to that. Right, I got don't, you. you know, no, 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 don't. I'm, I'm teased. Those I'm teased. Le- there's been it. there's been a lot of a, a and I, a lot of stories about how this has led to racism against especially like people you know, from various parts of Asia. And right. it's just, absolutely. That doesn't help. You're not helping. Yeah. You're not helping. Um, thank you, by the way. Uh, Eugenia Tognati wrote lessons from the history of quarantine from plague to influenza a in a paper, um, article that I used extensively throughout the research for this. So I just wanted to thank her. Yeah. And we'll be, I, I would say staying, staying current on Not every episode of Salt is going to be about no this, but I mean, obviously as, as it becomes necessary, 
Um, we have done chains of episodes for dumber reasons than <laughs> a, a possible pandemic. Yes. Um, that is going to do it for us. Uh, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, thank you to you for listening. We, uh, we're so happy that you're here. Thank you. Uh, but that is going to do it for us. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.